0: So my name's Marlon. I'm pleased to be here with you this morning. Thank you for allowing me the privilege of uh, being before you this morning. So my uh, text uh, is from the gospel uh, written by um, somebody uh, connected to Luke or Luke himself. And it starts with chapter 19. And um, just real quickly, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, It's the last trip he's going to make. Uh, He seems to know it. He feels that things are not going well in terms of his connection with the authorities. And he's already told his disciples, look, we're going, I'm going there to die. And they're like, what? They can't comprehend that. And that's where... We pick up the story. He just told them, I'm going to Jerusalem. What's going to happen there is not what you expect. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be handed over to the Romans. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be spit upon. I'm going to be executed. And the text says they didn't know what he was talking about. And I think that's true of a lot of us when we listen to what Jesus says. We're not always sure what exactly he's talking about. And I think that's good to remember. There's a certain humility in that that I think is helpful for us as we think about our faith tradition. So, hear this word. As Jesus approached Jericho, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop again because... So he's coming from the north, from Galilee. He's walking alongside the Jordan River, probably on the west bank, although he could be on the other side as well. It's Passover week, Many pilgrims are on the road. Someone has brought a member of their family who's blind, and his job in the family um, economic system is to beg. And it's not considered necessarily some kind of lowly, uh, loser um, uh, thing that he's doing. This still happens in Jerusalem today. Um, When you're on your way to the wall, the western wall, there will be beggars. They will be Jewish and they will be Muslim. And they're there to earn money for the family. Because this is one thing they can do. And that's what he's doing. So don't get caught up in looking down your nose on this man. He's a beggar, yes, but he's blind. And he's doing his part to help support the family. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When the man came near, Jesus asked him, And what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he said. You need to feel that as much as hear it. Lord, I want to see. (laughs) Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And again, let me just stop there for a minute. The passing through is not insignificant. The expectation is that he would stop and receive their hospitality. He chooses not to. We don't know why. Um, Is it early in the day and he wants to make some more miles? Is he anxious to get to Jerusalem? We don't know. But this is sort of a breach in hospitality is not stopping there to receive their hospitality culturally is not insignificant. It's a a bit of a breach, and that's important, and you'll see why in a minute. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, there are tax collectors who work for the Romans who collect taxes and then siphon off their share or more, and then there are tariff People who sit on toll roads, like Matthew wasn't a tax collector. He was a toll booth operator. He received tariffs. Not the same thing. Okay? This guy cheated his own people. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree, a fig tree, a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And he came down at once and welcomed him. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. He didn't stop to receive hospitality from the righteous folks who were leading the way, which was the expectation. Instead, what does he do? He stops and accepts the hospitality. In fact, demands hospitality from a man they would have seen as the other. That's not insignificant in my opinion. But Zacchaeus stood up and said... "It's it's Short man stood up, don't miss that. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. That's hyperbole, by the way. He's not going to do any of that. Well, he's going to do something. He's not going to do to that extent. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, I asked you when you came in, thank you for doing that, to just put, what are you truly feeling right now up on a whiteboard? And I did that kind of as a reminder to me um, as your teacher this morning, but to all of us that There are lots of different things happening in this room today. And if we could see the caption above the heads of those sitting right next to us, even those we live with, we might treat them differently. And I think we would treat them better in almost every instance, whether they were in a celebratory place or a sad place. We would treat them differently. And I believe we would treat them better. And I think this is one of the things that we, in our faith tradition, have to offer the world. One of the questions that we always need to be asking ourselves is what exactly do we have to offer to anybody, let alone the world? And I think this is one of them the ability to empathize, the ability to feel what other people are feeling, or at least try. To feel what other people are feeling, to get beyond our judgment of them, our, our view of them from outward appearances. We have a woman in our condo association, and she's um, that person. You know, she's the gatekeeper, she's the one who wants to make sure everybody's following the rules no matter what it is, and uh, she can just be a pain in the neck. And I had trouble liking her. I just have to say I didn't like her. And then after I listened to a podcast and read part of a book by Susan Kane, which is where I got the idea for the video from the Cleveland Clinic and this, she talked about how she moves through her day with an awareness that everybody has something that if you knew what it was, you would treat them differently, you would treat them better. And I had just read that, seen that podcast, and it was early in the morning, and I looked out the window and I saw her walking. And she was walking with her head down, and she was, she was trudging. And I turned to Sally and I said, she sat, she sat. I saw it for the first time because I was looking for it. And now I can never treat her with anything but kindness. Because she's sad. She's alone. I don't know what her circumstance is, but her body language was clear. She's sad. If you could see the caption over my 10-year-old granddaughter's head right now, it would read, I saw my family dog get run over by a car. If you could see the captions of the children going back to school in a week or two, how would we think about our teachers differently? And what they need to deal with every day as they've got a whole classroom of kids who have different things happening in their lives. Someone would be, I'm excited to see my friends again. Others would be, I'm worried about whether I can keep up. Or, I don't have any friends. (laughs) Will anybody play with me in the playground? Right? And what we have to offer, in my opinion, is to follow the leadership of the one who claimed to be and who we believe to be, the best representation of God ever, who went through his day seeing people out of the corner of his eye and recognizing in them. Right? So, um, I'm offering to you with this illustration a way to... Can you give me a Kleenex cell? A way to... um, Move through your day tomorrow, the rest of this day, thinking about the people you come in contact with as people who have things going on in their life that if you thank you, if you knew what they were, how would you treat them? With kindness, I believe, and gentleness. And that, I think, is something we have to offer to each other. To our families and to, I think the world <laughs> that this is better represents who we are in following Jesus and want to be than what we when we are seeing. Amen. So I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that now. That's enough for, of that. I think empathy is something we have to offer, and we ought to. And and I'll, no, let me say one more thing about that. We're hardwired to empathize. It's already in us. I think it's part of being made in the image of God is the, is the hardwired... to? I mean, think about babies in a nursery, right? If there are 10 babies in a nursery, one of the things that every nurse who works in a nursery knows, if one baby starts crying, what had you better do? Get that child out of the nursery because every child is going to start to cry. Because they're hardwired to feel that child's, whatever that child's feeling. So are we. We're hardwired to care, to feel. It gets driven out of us, but we're hardwired. We don't have to work to have that in us. That's already in us. We have to nurture that. Practice that. Okay. Now I'm going to leave that. I'm going to move on to something else. Um, so if you want to get the most out of the stories in the Bible, especially those connected to Jesus, I submit to you that you need to concentrate as much on the other characters in the story as on Jesus. Even I would submit to you more so. And that's not our tendency. Our natural tendency is to look at Jesus and focus on Jesus. Turn your eyes on Jesus. And that's all good. Don't, you know I'm not saying that's not good. But I'm saying to you, if you want to get the power out of that story fully, whatever the story is, you need to look at the other characters in it. They're the ones who are us. Most of the time, we can't identify with Jesus, except in, in his humanity. When that humanity comes out, which it does from time to time, but we can identify with the characters in the story. I'm going to go back to a couple of stories that Aaron's preached on, which I think he's, he's done that, or at least tried to do that. The woman at the well. Remember that story? Preached on that, I don't know, two or three weeks ago. I don't remember exactly when. This is a woman who's the other for a, for a Jewish male, she's the other. I don't know who the other is in your life, but think of that. Who's the other in your life? That's the Samaritan woman to Jesus. That's Jesus to the Samaritan woman. We focus on Jesus and how he treats the woman, but focus on the woman. And this is a story. He meets this woman at the well. It's noon. She's there alone. She has a drinking vessel. He's thirsty. By the way, Um, He asks her for a drink. She's like, what are you doing asking me for a drink? And we never get that he got a drink. Do you think he got a drink or not? We never, it never tells us. These are the kind of details the Bible leaves out. We assume she gave him a drink. And he drank, he drank it, right? And I think we can assume that. Maybe it doesn't matter, but I don't know, maybe it does. You know, but the thing that stands out to me about her is two things. One is she refuses to be shamed, she doesn't let this man shame her. He says, yeah, you're not married, you got five husbands and one you're married with. And she answers him back, well, I see you're a prophet. She refuses to be shamed. And the second is, um, she hangs on for a blessing and she gets one. Um, And so I'm going to then go to the next story that Aaron preached on last week, the story of the woman, uh, Syrophoenician woman, right? Canaanite woman. I mean, talk about the other. The Samaritans were at least connected to the Jews in that they had the same Bible with a few exceptions. They worshiped, they felt, the same God in the exact same way. In fact, the high priest for the Samaritans was the brother of the high priest in Jerusalem. The brother (laughs) during Jesus' time. You know, they were separated by some actions that took place, but the Syrophoenician woman was the ultimate other. She was us, Gentile. And you can focus on Jesus there, and what's Jesus trying to do there, which, which Aaron did. I want us to focus on the woman too, which Aaron did. And what stands out for me for the woman is she stands her ground until she gets that blessing she is not intimidated by this powerful male she stands her ground she pushes back which any mother in this room and dad's too but let's just it's the mother story most of the stories by the way are mother stories women's stories mother stories the ones that are really significant In the Jesus narrative are mother stories, women's stories. The woman with the issue of blood. The woman whose son died at Nain. Right? The women who followed Jesus. The women who were at the cross. The women who were at the resurrection. The woman caught in adultery. Right? The woman who washes Jesus' feet with her hair. Think about it it is, I don't like to use superlatives too much, but that's astounding to me. The number of times women are the main characters in the stories of Jesus, and empowered. And when we look at them, that Syrophoenician woman, she stands her ground until she gets a blessing, and she gets the blessing. Jesus moves from apathy, ignoring her, to antipathy, being actually cruel to her, calling her a dog, to empathy. That's the movement. When he sees her, not as the other, but as a woman who has faith. And then today, you with me? Today, focus on the blind man who is named in Mark's gospel, Bartimaeus, who follows Jesus, and that's why his name is remembered. He was a part of the early church, Bartimaeus. So was Zacchaeus. That's why we have their names. Simon of Cyrene. That's why we have their names. The woman, the issue of blood, some of the others... They come into Jesus' life, they don't follow him. They don't become a part of the early Christian community. But the ones who are named, they're part of the Christian community. That's why they're named. Right? Rufus Alexander, and Mary Magdalene, Mary, the wife of Clophus, all of these become part of the early church. But look at the look at the blind beggar here. Focus on him, not on Jesus. He refuses to be intimidated by the crowd. <laughs> they tell him basically, and by the way, the Greek is strong. We, the interpretations, we want to mellow it out, but in the Greek it's strong. Shut up, they tell him, shut up. And he cries out all the more loudly. He stands his ground. If you want a blessing, Stand your ground. Don't let anybody tell you you don't deserve one. Stand your ground. Job. Stands his ground. Job is a story in the Old Testament about a man who gets treated terribly by God. And his friends come and they give him all kinds of these pious religious answers. Oh, you must ascend. You're being punished. Oh, you're being tested. And Job is like, no, I'm not having any of that. Nobody deserves to be treated the way I'm being treated. He stands his ground. And at the end of that story, God's, God's hard on him, abuses him almost, but God also affirms him. And that's the blessing. God affirms him. And then you have Zacchaeus, right? Who, what can we learn from Zacchaeus? There's will connected to his want. Okay? You can want a lot of things, folks. You can want to be uh, in a better relationship with your spouse or whatever. You can can want to change. You can want to quit drinking. You can want to change whatever, but if you don't have the will to do it, even God can't give you what you want without the will. And that is a lesson we need to learn. Even God can't give us what we want if we don't have the will to work and wait for it. Zacchaeus runs on ahead, climbs a tree. Right? He wants to see Jesus, and he does the work to do exactly that. And what's the work? Right? Well, the answer we get is here's the here's the typical Christian: the work is read the Bible. Right? That's the work. Okay, that's a good thing to do. the work is to pray okay that's a good thing to do too but here's another good thing to do you got to name it you have to name what it is that's standing in the way of you receiving a blessing to name it And I don't know where to go from there, to, to be honest with you. Because I, I'm with you in all of this. You know, I want uh, to be so connected to God through the work of the Holy Spirit that my desires... Align with his desires. My desires for myself. My desires for my relationship with Sally. Or with my children or grandchildren. Or with anybody and everybody I meet. Align with God's will and want for me. And I know that means that I have to seek those things in my life. That make me. More receptive to others and therefore more receptive to God's work in my life. That for me is the work. I don't does that that make it is that getting anywhere? Or is it not specific enough, is it? (laughs) Sorry. I don't I don't know how you I, I fight against all the time these formulas. Right, or, well, if you just do this, read your Bible and pray, and go to church, do all these, you know I, I fight that. I say the work's harder than that i think I think also um the work is easier than that. I think the work is so simple as to try and move through this world if I can borrow the phrase that you just use um. Uh, um, um, uh n- through this world in such a way that nobody can make you feel ashamed of yourself. Not even you. <laughs> that you can get to the point in your life that you see yourself the way the, the way you were seen as a child maybe right that you can see yourself as intrinsically good not totally depraved not evil not good you are good and and that you can forgive yourself for whatever it is you're holding against yourself. You can get to that point where you can forgive yourself for being human. (laughs) Right? You look back in your life and you say, I screwed up here and I screwed up here and I screwed up here and everybody screwed up here and here and here and here because to be human is to screw up. You can't forgive others for screwing up, for hurting you until you can forgive yourself. Once you can forgive yourself, this is the work. Once you can forgive yourself for being human, then you can forgive others because they're human too. Right? It starts with forgiving yourself. That's where the work starts. That's the hardest work of all. Nobody's harder on me than me. Anybody? Amen? Anybody? Nobody is harder on me. People can, I can make a mistake and people can, and I'm like, there's nothing you can do to me that's worse than I'm doing to myself right now. Right? The work is to move beyond that. To forgive yourself for being human. And then you can forgive others as well and then here's the final piece of this you can seek forgiveness you can ask for it because then you believe you deserve it once you forgive yourself and you start to be able to forgive others then you can ask for forgiveness because it's then that you feel and you begin to become aware you deserve to be forgiven forgiven By God, sure, that's easy. God's in the forgiveness business. (laughs) Right? We're not as good at it. So, wow, I think I said a lot. Hoping something sticks, kind of like that throw something on the wall, see what sticks thing. Again, thank you for allowing me to be here and share from my heart about what I think matters most today and uh, out of our faith tradition. Um, and that is, man, a person cuts you off in traffic. <laughs> what is it that's going on in their life, right? Right? All right, that's good enough. Has to be, because I'm done. (laughs) So let's pray.